Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come to Tallahassee um, and spend the week with the kids and then now to share your word. Father, I pray that you will hide me behind the cross and that you will speak through me and that the words I speak are not mine but yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, our topic today, we're kind of going to be a little bit all over. Mostly we're going to start in Genesis, though. So if you all would turn back with me to Genesis 1, verse 2. Or if you have it memorized, that works too. Also, side note, I forgot to print off my notes, so if you see me looking at my phone, I promise it's just my notes. All right. Genesis 1, verse 2 says, the, beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. All right. First vocab lesson. The word void. What do you guys think the word void means? I also need you guys to help me stay awake, because I'm kind of tired. So... If I help you stay awake, you help me stay awake. So what does the word void mean? When I say void, what's the first thing you think of? Darkness, empty, what else? Nothingness. Nothingness. Yeah. Darkness, empty, and nothingness. Have you ever felt like you're on the very edge of nothingness? Like your whole world is just dark and there's nothing there but you and you're alone and God can't hear you. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes we can be in the middle of a crowd, and yet it feels like there's nothing. That it's just me, and nobody else gets how I'm feeling. My friends, that's not true, because God, if you continue reading in this verse, while the earth was literally void, there was nothing. It literally was in chaos. There was nothing here. It was confusion It was empty. If we continue reading verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. In the midst of this nothingness, there was, it was empty, it was dark, it was void. God was there. In the middle of the times when we feel like we're all alone in the world and there's no one else, no one else understands how we're feeling at this time, God gets it. God gets it. You see, my friends, the, the sermon title, Reality Check, sometimes it's kind of a little abrasive sounding, but that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have our reality checked. Because the reality in which we live is not true. The reality in which we live is not true. You see, a lot of times we feel like God can't hear us, God doesn't care, God's indifferent, And we just want to hear him speak and see him move. But we can't because we don't actually want to. Because we want him to speak to us in a certain way. We want to see him work in a specific avenue. But that's not how he needs to work with us at that time. In the beginning when there was nothing, he was hovering, he was watching, he was there. But it wasn't quite time for him to speak. Why was it not quite time for him to speak? Because when God speaks, it becomes reality. When God speaks, nothing else can happen but what he says. You see, because of this, because we know this, it's it's in the back of our minds. I dare say it's been engraved in us, in our DNA by God himself, that we know that we need him. 
We're scared when we can't hear or see him. We're scared that he doesn't care, but he does. You see, and when we're scared of this, this is the very time that we need to be praying the most, yet we don't. We struggle to pray when we don't see God working. We struggle to pray when we can't hear what he's saying to us. You see, we pray for big things. We pray for, we pray for where do I need to go to school? Lord, what college do I need to go to? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? God, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to raise my kids? What, am I, what do you want me to do? Nothing. We pray for people that are sick to be healed. A few weeks ago, <clears throat> about a, actually about a month ago now, one of my high school teachers, I went to a boarding academy for four years, and we have this thing called faculty families. I don't know if you guys do this at SVA, but we have faculty families. And for two years, the Heslops were my faculty family, my sophomore year and my senior year. Now, Mrs. Heslop and I had gotten really close because not only was she my faculty mother for those two years, she was our class sponsor, she was our gym team sponsor, and she was my math teacher. Poor woman had her work cut out for her. But because of this, I was really close to Mrs. H, and senior year, I got, senior year really, I got the opportunity to get closer to Mr. Heslop. Now, Mr. Heslop was a special man. They're from South Africa, and so he has a very thick South African accent. And the one word that he likes to say the most is sophomores. But he doesn't call them sophomores. He called them sophomores. And so this is what we would hear every year in about October when it was getting time for ACTs. You'd be like, sophomores, you have to take this, and juniors, you have to take this. About a year ago, he started having some serious issues with his kidneys. And they did a bunch of tests, and they thought they had the treatment figured out, and so they did it, he got through it, and a week after he finished, so about a month ago, a week after he had finished all of his treatments, he went in for some testing on Friday to see if it had worked. Sunday afternoon, Mrs. Heslop had to take Mr. H to the, to the ER because he couldn't breathe. He'd been having liver problems, but all of a, liver and kidney problems, but all of a sudden now he couldn't breathe. They admitted him to the ER, and he had this really, really bad case of pneumonia that they don't know where it came from. So we have this group on Facebook of my class that Mrs. H had started, and she asked us specifically to pray that Mr. H would get better. That was Sunday afternoon. Tuesday morning, she tells us that he's gotten better. They think he's going able to be able to go home this afternoon. The fluid in his lungs has kind of gone away, and it's going to be okay. Tuesday night, not even eight hours later, he was airlifted from the hospital where we live two hours down to Detroit, put on a ventilator in, meta, in a medically induced coma, because he couldn't breathe and his heart had stopped working. Eight hours after they thought that he was going to be able to be discharged. So now, our entire class, granted there's only like 54 of us, our class is praying, we'd, been, we'd had our families praying, my entire family was praying for them, my church was praying for them. The, the Heslops have been at Glaw for like 30 some odd years, so all of these people are praying for Mr. Heslop to get better. By the end of the week, by Friday, he had gone up, he had gone down, he had gone up, he had gone down, and they finally, the doctors did another test, they couldn't figure out what was happening, 
because nothing was working. And they did a CAT scan, and they found out that in the, during the time in which he was being airlifted, he had a major stroke. And sometime throughout the rest of the week, he'd had multiple mini strokes and was basically left brain dead. And they didn't know what had happened or why it had happened. And so the Heslops had to make a very, very hard decision to just let him go to, peace, to, go to sleep peacefully until he sees Jesus. And this hit hard because our class was very close with Mr. H and Mrs. H, as well as Glenn, and I was too. And God hadn't answered our prayers. And it got harder and harder to pray, and I was like, God, why are you not? Like, this is Mr. H. Like, this is one of the most godly men that I know. Why is it not okay? And when I was reviewing my sermon, God reminded me this, that I needed to be praying, but Mr. H needed to be sleeping. So God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we want, but he answers in the way that we need to when we need it. He waits to speak. He simply sits back and watches, okay, I'm waiting for the perfect moment to make it best for you. My child, you must be patient while I work. We have to be patient because eventually God will speak. So we pray for these things and God doesn't answer how we want, but it's okay. Because while we may feel that God is indifferent, he's not. He knows the very number of hairs that is on our head or was on our head. He knows. He cares so much about us that he knows that number. I don't even want to try to count the number of hairs on my head. That would take too long and that's too much math and I just, no, I'm good. He cares. He's in control. He's waiting. He's paying careful attention so that when he speaks, everything will be perfect. See, God, he's not afraid of our chaos. Our life can be going topsy-turvy, as crazy as it can be. We can think everything is falling apart. We can feel like we're in the midst of World War III in our minds. But God's not afraid of our chaos. He's not afraid of it because he wants He wants to fix it. He wants to fix it. And he's going to fix it by speaking. Because for God to speak something is significant. We see this in creation. So we're going to move on. And we're going to stay in chapter 1 of Genesis. And we're going to go down a few verses. And we're going to read verse 6. Second day of creation. God's made light. He's made day. And verse 6 says, then, Jesus, then God said, Let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters, for, divide, and divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Vocab word number two. What was our first vocab word? Void. What is void? Empty. All right, we'll, we'll say with empty. It was empty. All right, vocab word number two. So, what does the word so mean? It's very popular in the English language. It's very different meanings, but what does it actually mean? If you look it up in the dictionary, what is it going to say? Do you know? So, what is so? I'm sorry? Something's going to happen. Yeah, that's, that's true. What else? What, how else do we use the word so? Therefore. Therefore. There. Therefore, thus, so means in the same manner, in this way, according to what God said. 
So when God spoke and he said, let the firmament be here, the water be here, this water here, this water here, what happened? It happened, right? Now, was it like a slow, like the water just kind of started receding? Or was it more of like a, it happened? Like it was then, God spoke, boom, that was it. Boom, that was it. That's exactly how it was. Boom, that was it. God spoke, and it happened. And that's why he had to wait, because it had to be perfect. He had to wait, because as soon as he opened his mouth and the words came out, that was reality. Amen. Hmm. Amen. Amen. What I love about this is he doesn't just do this in Genesis. God doesn't just speak and create the world, and he's like, all right, I'm done talking. Y'all can just do what you want. No, 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 no. There's many times throughout the whole Bible when we see God speak. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus himself is ministering to the people. I just, oh, that'd be so cool. To have Jesus himself, like, right there. So many questions. So many questions. All right, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 23, verse 27. Kind of got a water theme going on. Kind of goes with our, with our week. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 says, Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Jesus is sleeping on the boat, and his disciples, now his disciples, most of them were fishermen, right? Most of these guys had been on boats on the Sea of Galilee with some intense storms, and they, they were fine, you know? They're like, it's okay, we got this. But this storm is specifically described as a great tempest. This was no, like, normal storm. This wasn't some little thunderstorm with some thunder and lightning, maybe a couple, like, four-foot waves. No, 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 no. This storm was like a hurricane. This storm had waves so big that the water was coming up over the side of the boat and into it. Yet Jesus slept. That's got to be a, like, he's got to be napping hard. Like, the boat's racking and the water's coming in and he's getting wet. Yet he's sleeping. Right? He's peaceful. He knows that, you know, he's, he's got a plan. It's all right. He's just sleeping peacefully. He can sleep through anything. But his disciples are freaking out. <laughs> These are men that, like I said, they're on the boat. They're on the water all the time. This is how they had their livelihood. And these men are freaking out. They don't know what to do. And then, verse 25, Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. So not only were they like, okay, we're going to drown. They're like, no, 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 no. We're going to die. I can't take this. Why is he still sleeping? Like, how are you still sleeping? Are you okay? Jesus says to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Jesus knew that because he was there, all he had to do was speak. Just calm. But the disciples, even though they'd been with him for uh, an amount of time, They didn't have enough faith. The disciples, previous to being being fishermen, had studied the Bible. They knew their stuff. The Jews know their stuff. They know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Yet, they were still afraid. They knew who Jesus was. They knew. They may not have been confident in it, but they knew. It's almost like Jesus is disappointed. He's like, where is your faith? 
replied, do you not trust me? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. There was a great calm. Now imagine this. Have you guys ever been like out on, do you guys have a lot of lakes around here? Maybe no? Some? Okay, where I'm from, we have a lot of lakes. And my stepdad, he likes to go fishing. And so we'd go, we'd go salmon fishing every Father's Day. And there are some times when those waves are just coming up and I'm getting seasick and I'm just like, I can't. I just need to go home. But these waves, like, it went from this great hurricane-like storm to nothing. Instantly. Like, can you imagine that? The wind's blowing, the waves are going, there's thunder and lightning. I almost like to picture it like a bolt of lightning is cracking and halfway through it just stops because Jesus said so. Instantly it's calm, clear. Have you guys ever been to the lake and it's so calm that there's not even a single ripple on it? Where my house is, you just walk, walk down like two minutes and there's a lake. And it was actually cool. Because, and I love the water. And the morning that I left... I drove by. I went down to say goodbye to my lake. It's my lake, man. And it was so calm. And the sun was, was starting to come up over it, and the trees were reflecting, and there wasn't a single ripple on it. And that's how this water was. After Jesus stood up, told the winds of the waves to stop, it went from waves that were crashing the boat and water was filling to nothing. Because he spoke. Because he spoke. The same power that created the earth is the same speaking power that calmed the storm. But God doesn't just speak and control nature. He also heals. If you look earlier in this chapter, we see the story of the centurion's servant. The centurion is not a Jew. Okay, He's in charge of about 100 men and... So he's a, he's a big kahuna. Like he, people do what he says pretty fast. And his servant, who had become like a son to him, grew very sick. And he had heard the stories of Jesus. And so he stepped out in faith and he asked him, he's like, come and heal my servant, please. And Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come, I'll come heal your servant, no problem. Like, let's go. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy that you come to my house. Just speak and it'll be so. Please tell me how. A centurion, a Roman soldier, has more faith in the speaking power of Jesus than his own disciples. Think about that. Someone who wasn't spending time with Jesus had more faith in his ability to calm the storm of his life than the disciples who were in the boat next to him. Amen. Mm. Oh. There's many other times when Jesus speaks and says, you're healed. Like the story of the paralytic when his, when his friends drop him through the roof. He says, get up and walk. People in there kind of ready to test Jesus and they stop and they're like, nah, like you can't do this. He, he looks at them, knowing in their hearts that, that they're looking for something to nail him with. Something to take him, to make him have to stop. And he kind of just quietly goes, is it easier to tell him to stand up and walk or that your sins are forgiven? Not only does Jesus only have to say, get up and walk, and boom, he can walk. He says your sins are forgiven. And in the same instant, both happen. Instantly. It's a crazy thought to me that so fast, all he has to do is speak. That's it. Amen is right. 
See, our reality is determined by the very Word of God. The darkness that was on the face of the deep that made everything seem so scary at the beginning, well, it was, it was about to go. See, when Jesus says, let there be light in verse 2, what happens? There's light. Now, was there suddenly light because the sun felt like shining, that the darkness didn't feel like being dark anymore, that the earth was like, no, I'm tired of being nothing, I'm ready to have some light? No. There was light because God said so. Reality was determined by the word of God, not by the feeling of the people or the place. It doesn't, it matters how you feel, but it doesn't matter how you feel because that is not reality. Reality is what God says. We are not alone. We're not the only ones who feel the way we feel or think the way we think or do the things we do. We're not alone. And he knows. He's here to help us. See, God knew that all he had to do to get rid of the chaos in the earth was to speak. But first, what did he do? He sent his spirit. In verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before God could speak, he had to, he had to kind of test out the territory. As a, I was a coal porter for many summers, and, and as a coal porter leader, you have to, it's called scouting. You have to scout the territory. You can't just drop your kids without knowing where you're going. And it's almost like that's what God was doing. He was scouting out the territory to make sure that the people were home, to make sure that it was ready, to make sure that it was right. He sends a spirit, and that's the same thing that he does today. When you're in the midst of a storm and it feels like he's indifferent and he's not listening and nothing's happening, his spirit is watching, and he's waiting, and he's ready. He's just waiting for you to be ready. Because once he speaks, that's it. There's no going back. That's reality. See, reality, it conforms to the very word of God. It is not based on the feelings. It is not based on how you feel or think. It's based on the Word of God. And we have a special ability. We get to actually spend time in the Word of God. We get to know what the Word of God says. We get to know what reality is just by reading. That's all we have to do to know what it is. We're not alone. We're not the only ones that feel the way we feel. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. See, it says... No temptation has overtaken you, except such is common to man. Such is what to man? Common. common. What's common mean? All right, vocab word number three. What's the word common mean? Ordinary, regular, Ordinary, regular usual. usual. Yeah, usual. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as usual to man, such as normal for man, such as common to man, But God is faithful. Amen. Amen. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God will not allow you to be more alone than you can handle. He will not let your storm be big enough to crash your ship because he's in it. He's in it. 
You don't have to worry about it. It may feel like you're going down, but he's in your shit. All he has to do is say, stop. And it's done. He makes a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. He just has to say, stop. You see, we're not, as humans, we're not just comfortable and and okay with seeing God move, we have to hear him speak too. We have to know that God cares, and he does. And he shows us, and he understands that because he made us that way. He wants to show us that way. His his indifference is not real. God says, I love you. I am love. I cannot be indifferent. I cannot be the very opposite thing of what I am. Therefore, he has to love. And in the midst of your chaos, you are not alone. Because God has said that I am with you. And that, my friends, is a reality check that we need to remember that God is with us. Just as he was above the waters of the deep. 